Welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our executive pastors, Wilson Cochran. All right, so the series we're in right now is called Emotional by Design. And uh, we're in the fifth message this week. Last week, we had a group of therapists here, and I interviewed them, and they told me I have schizophrenia. So, no. They diagnosed me. Um, But it was super helpful. Like, it was a really powerful service. I really encourage you to go on the live stream and and watch last week. Who who liked that with the therapist? That was so good. Um, We're going to continue on this morning with Emotional by Design. And I'm gonna, I wanna start by just sharing with you guys a little bit our heart in doing this series. Like kind of the reason why we're doing it. And the number one reason and the most fundamental reason is this. Emotional health is part of discipleship. Our emotional health is part of us being a follower of Jesus. Jesus, his desire is to be Lord of every single part of your life. He wants to be in charge in how you do everything. Just want you to know that you do your emotions. I do my emotions a certain way, and I don't always do it the way God wants me to. So we're doing this series because we want to do emotions the way God does them. We want to be in line. We want to be in flow with our master, our leader. To be a disciple means to be a follower, a learner of someone. And so um, we just think this is like a super important topic, how we... and, and how how we process our emotions. We want to do it in a godly way, not a worldly way. There's a passage I want to read. Turn with me to Matthew 7. I really do believe that this idea of Jesus being Lord and and the Lordship of Christ, Him being in charge, is a really important concept that we need to grab onto. As society gets crazier and crazier, we need to be more and more founded and centered on who our Lord is. And it's Jesus. So listen to this passage in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Just raise your hand if you've given out a greeting card before with this verse on it, right? This is like our favorite one. We have it in a heart-shaped plaque over our bathrooms because this is our favorite Jesus passage. We're like, yes, come on. Yeah, no. This is like one of the more cryptic ones, right? We're just like, what is going on? I want to know the nice Jesus, not this. This is weird, you know? But there's some really powerful stuff to pull out of here. And the first powerful thing to note is that he has just been talking about false prophets directly before this passage. And our Bible has put different titles and they section things out, but the, the, the gospel writers didn't do that. You know that the titles in your Bible were not put there by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <laughs> okay? Um, so the context here is he's talking about false prophets and the type of fruit that they have in their life. So here's, here's one of the things that astounds me about this passage. First, 
recognizing who God is, recognizing who Jesus is, recognizing that Jesus is Lord isn't enough to get you in the kingdom of heaven. Just recognize, you know the demons know that he's God. The demons cried out who he was. <laughs> so um, just saying, Lord, Lord, just recognizing who he is, that's not enough. And then we go on to the next thing, um, prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, doing many mighty works in his name. I love that stuff. I don't know about you, but I love to prophesy. I love to expel evil spirits. And I want to do more mighty works, okay? It's like, sign me up for all that stuff. But none of that is what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Knowing who he is doesn't get you in the kingdom of heaven. Doing good things for him doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. What gets you into the kingdom of heaven is him knowing you. Him knowing you. Like, don't we easily read this? And then I will declare to them, you never knew me. But that's not what it says. I never knew you. You see, what God's looking for is people who will surrender their entire life to him so that he knows them, so that he fully knows them. Will you rip your heart open before Jesus and say, know me? That's part of processing your emotions. To the extent that you're saying, I'm not processing that, is a um, pushing away God being invited into that part of your life. We invite him, like when you say, hey, I want to be healthy emotionally, what you're saying is, I want to be fully known by God. I want to be fully known by him. And that's true freedom. True freedom is, no, is really like ripping yourself open before God and saying, hey, I just trust you, what you want to say to me about me. <laughs> I'm not, so much of the Christian life, we spin our wheels going towards God. At least I have. Towards him, towards him, towards him. When the, the beauty is receiving him to me. Receiving is, is what it's all about. Um, so it's just so critical to be a disciple, processing your emotions in a healthy kingdom way, saying, hey, God, know me. I want you to know me. I'm, I mean, we know that he already knows us, right? He's, he knows everything, but he wants relational knowing. He wants relational knowing with you. He wants you to say, God, know me. I open myself to you. I want you to know me. Every single part of me, I want you to know me. And that's why we're talking about how to, how to process our emotions. Because lots of times our emotions are what either propel us into deeper relationship with God, right? Like that's what was just happening during worship. Freedom of emotions was coming out. People were expressing themselves fully to God. But the thing that, one of the ways, one of the forms of pushing God away is not is when we feel an uncomfortable emotion and we don't go there. That's one of the ways that we can actually hinder God's work in our life. So second reason we're doing this uh, message series is because we think it's a neglected topic in Christianity. <laughs> and uh, the caveat I'll say with that is there is amazing resources out there. And there are amazing spiritual leaders, Christian leaders who've talk, who talk about this. And I don't want to discount from their impact on the body of Christ. But as a whole, I don't think that the world thinks of Christians as being the most emotionally healthy people in the world. Right? That's not like what we're known for. Is like, wow, they just really know how to mourn. You know, they, they just really know how to be angry and not sin. They just know how to love people they disagree with. Like, man, that's what we're supposed to be known for. And I really believe this group of people is known for that, okay? But 
if we don't call it out that it's a, a constant thing we're having to push into, then we'll fall into apathy, we'll take it for granted. And um, whatever you fall into apathy about, whatever you take for granted, you don't steward well. So this is something I want us as a church body to steward well, is how we process our emotions. And we gotta start by saying, hey, this is an area that we need more um, revelation. Not an area we've arrived, but an area we want more understanding, more relation. Who doesn't want to um, help people around them process heartbreak? Like, that's one of the things I want to do, you know? If you want to be used in that way, you got to start with yourself. you got to say, God, I invite you into helping me in this area. So, um, and another thing is the world is crying out for this. Do you have the book slide now, Denise? Okay, so I was at Target this week, and I got some really great uh, material for my sermon. Um, this, is a sec- this is a book section in Target. These books, Atomic Habits, Think Like a Monk, The Body Keeps the Score, Grit, Think Again, um, all that maybe you should talk to someone. There's this really cultic one about the four pathways. Like Society is crying out for this stuff, okay? People want to know how to know God. They want to know how to know themselves, And we can, we can be the vehicle. We are the answer to that. We have something the world wants and needs. So we're diving into it, all right? So that, and that's the last reason we're doing this series is because it's one of the ways that we want, there's a prophetic word over this church, which is that it would be a healing community. That this would be a church where people come and get healing in all areas of their life. Their broken bones, we get healed. Their autoimmune disorders, we get healed. Their inability to forgive, that heart sickness they have, would be healed. The unclean spirits that hang around them would be gone. You know, like, we want to be used in all dimensions of healing. And so we don't want to neglect this one, uh, emotional healing and heart healing. And um, processing our emotions is another way just to talk about that, emotional healing and heart healing. So we want to steward this calling that we have as a church to be a healing community, okay? So in this series, there's been two kind of core statements that we've been um, harping on and we've been going back to over and over. These are kind of like our core guiding statements. And the first one is this. We are emotional. Well, okay. Before I tell those two statements, what I want to talk about now Oh, um, so I want to talk about these core statements, but the reason I want to talk about the core statements is to talk about something else. Okay, that's a lot of what I do. I talk about one thing so I can talk about something else. Um, it's called being an external processor, all right? So what I want to talk about today is how our beliefs impact our emotions, how what we believe impacts how we feel. And I also want to talk about the role that spiritual warfare plays in our emotions. But before I go there, let me catch us up on uh, our two series core statements, okay? The first uh, gu- kind of guiding post is this. Our core statement is, we are emotional by design. As humans, we are emotional by design. We can look to Jesus. First of all, we just look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus had emotions. So that, Jesus is the epitome of a healthy human being. So we have emotions too. It's a good thing. And what's more, in uh, Genesis, uh, God said, let us make man in our image. And we see all throughout the Bible that God actually expresses emotions, meaning that part of bearing the image of God is to have emotions. So what I'm trying to say here is like, it's a good thing to have emotions, okay? 
It's, I think subtly we can kind of start to be down on emotions, but the truth is, man, like this is part of how God wired you. And even it says that we're made in God's image so that we may have dominion over the earth. So I'd encourage you that part of, your, part of the way that we'll have dominion over the earth is by processing our emotions in a healthy way. So that's the first core idea from this series that we're emotional by design. And the second is this. We are called to master our emotions, not be mastered by them. We are called to master our emotions, not be mastered by them. And notice the, the language there is supposed to be really intentional. Called. We are called. This is what God is inviting us to. Please don't take this statement and lump it on yourself as accusation or shame or condemnation because, you, because that's not your experience, okay? Maybe you're sitting here or maybe you've been sitting here and you've been feeling like, well, guess what? I feel pretty mastered by my emotions. If that's how you're feeling, I just want to tell you, that's okay. Like, you are not less for having that experience. I've lived a lot of my life there, okay? <laughs> I've been mastered a ton. And... Um, just getting the truth in your head that that's not God's portion for you is going to bring freedom. Just when you start to see that that's not what God has for you, hope starts to break in. We're called to master our emotions, not be mastered by them. So what we're not saying here is that you should try to control all your emotions. We're not saying that, and we're not even saying you can always control all of your emotions. Remember in the panel last week, um, Barb and Nick and Carla were telling us how Emotions are, we sh a healthy way to think about emotions is that they're like gauges. They like, they're showing us something deeper that's going on. They're supposed to be a reflection to us of something that's happening beneath the surface. And what I propose to you is what they're reflecting to us is something that we've experienced and something we believe. At all given time in life, we're walking around and what are we? We're a composite of our past experiences and what we believe. And so, and, and the Holy Spirit, that's like the main thing we are, okay? Jesus. <laughs> but when an event happens to us, what's coming to mind is, what, do, what are the beliefs I have that are kicking into gear? And then what are the past experiences that are informing how I'm viewing this right now? So the emotions are not the thing driving. They're, 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 they're flowing. They're just happening. So it's kind of like, a, I, I would just propose to you, it's an unproductive goal to try and always control your emotions. And I even say that this has been spoken over some people and it's really hurt them. Like you might resonate with that. Maybe someone has said to you before, like, can't you just control yourself? Why don't you just control it, you know? And it's just like, man, like that's just not how God wired you. <laughs> like sometimes we can just say no to an emotion and move on and that's really good. But lots of times our emotions are an invitation to us having a deeper revelation of who God is. Our emotions are an invitation to us having an understanding of who we are and where we're at in our sanctification process and we're, what we're not believing that God wants us to believe. So when we just say stupid emotions and we grit on or whatever, we're actually handicapping some of our spiritual and just personal growth. So when we make that statement, we're called to master our emotions, not be mastered by them. What we are trying to communicate is this. You are a powerful person. You are a powerful person. Your emotions are not in charge of you. You are in charge of you. You can change the way you think. You can change your beliefs. All this in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And when you believe truth, healthy emotions, and what I mean by healthy emotions is appropriate emotions will follow. 
I think that sometimes that's a better way to talk about it. Yeah, okay. Um, so here, will you pull up the slide? The, yeah, the paradigm, great, okay. So Jordan and I made this, and I'm a little nervous that we made this, honestly, because I feel like someone might get really screwed up because of it. But it's helpful to me, okay? So I hope that this is helpful to you. If it doesn't, just, sorry. Um, but what this, what this grid does, it gives me a way to kind of process my human experience. This is how I kind of look at what's going on with me at any given moment. And, and the focal point here is the emotions. So we see the whole top column. We, all, all the words that have to do with comfort are referring to your emotions. And all the words that have to do with healthy or unhealthy are referring to your beliefs. So if we're being honest, the place that our flesh, the flesh is most content, is in the top. That's where it wants to be. It wants to be feeling comfortable and it doesn't even, does not care whether it's healthy or not. <laughs> that's how, that's, it's, it's possible to feel good, but actually you shouldn't be feeling good. You know, like maybe you get really, um, you get a promotion at work or whatever and you go get loaded and you go get drunk because, because you're so happy you got that promotion. Like that would be a bad thing, right? There's an unhealthy belief is going on there. Even though you're feeling good, there's unhealthy belief. And then to flip this, go down to the bottom right corner, an uncomfortable emotion, but you're, it's actually coming from a healthy place. If a close one, someone that you love close to you dies, you're going to feel uncomfortable emotions, right? Like you're going to be sad. You're going to be grieving, but that's coming from a healthy belief system. The, your belief system of I love and value and I want intimate relationship and I want the people I love to be with me. That's good beliefs. So your uncomfortable emotion is coming from a good place and you shouldn't avoid it. We live in a fallen, broken world. I, I, I don't think that before the fall, there were ever gonna be uncomfortable emotions. I, that's just my opinion. But, and I think that the backup for that is that in Revelation, it says there will be a day where there's no more tears. When the kingdom hasn't just, when the, right now, Jesus is king, but he's not fully embraced as king, and there's a demonic, oppositional, spiritual force called the kingdom of darkness that's resisting the king's kingdom. Someday, that is going to be done away with. The devil and his kingdom is going to be put into the fiery lake or whatever, you know, <laughs> and the only kingdom that will be out there is the kingdom of our God. But yeah, come on. That's awesome. I'm excited for that. But that's not right now. The king, he's still king. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't king. I'm just saying that he is not embraced as such by everyone. And there's an oppositional force at play right now that has been judged but not executed. Okay? And so as long as we're in that time where the kingdom of God has come, but Jesus hasn't come back a second time, we're going to experience uncomfortable emotions. And our goal in life should not be to push away uncomfortable emotions. Our goal in life should be to root out unhealthy beliefs. We don't want to ignore uncomfortable, we don't want to ignore our emotions. Like, I'm not saying don't care about how you feel. Like that's important. And at the very end of my message, I'm going to tell you how I process it when I'm feeling an uncomfortable emotion. But what I'm telling you, the last question you should ask isn't how do I feel? The last question you should ask is what do I believe? And then you partner with the Lord to process that and you end up somewhere really good. And you might, and, and honestly, I think 
God's will for us is to be in the comfortable and healthy zone, okay? But a necessary part of living in a fallen world is that we're in the uncomfortable and healthy zone sometimes. And we get to move up. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians that there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's what I'm talking, that's what all this is right here, okay? There's a godly sorrow that leads to mind renewal. But there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. That's over here. So what I want to do now is talk about beliefs and how important um, what we believe is. Are you guys following me though so far? Okay. At least when you guys were in masks, I just figured that's why you look so angry. But what I'm finding out is you guys just look angry all the time. Okay. Like, I'm not sure what's up with it, but you're just all, you're just looking at me like, all right, you're pissed at me. Cool. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so just to, just to tell you how this has impacted my life, this has been a game changer for me. I never knew that beliefs were on the table for part of my spiritual growth. And as I've started to learn that, I just feel like, man, it's just like hope after hope after abounding hope after abounding hope. Like I just, when I understand that my beliefs are something that I can go in on, I can go after with the Lord, it's just like, there's always a solution. Like there is always a solution. Um, I have, the thing I, I've battled a lot that I'm getting a lot of breakthrough right now is not having peace in my quiet, in my quiet times, in my devotional time with Jesus. I'd go into that time of prayer and worship or reading my Bible or whatever, and I would be doing all these things that I thought were good, but I wouldn't be feeling a sense of connection to God. I would be feeling actually disconnected and anxious and a lack of peace. And it was like, you know, I know we're not supposed to walk by uh, sight, but I would like a little bit of positive experience in my quiet times, okay? Like, pretty sure these are supposed to be edifying to me. And through... Um, mentors and other people and, and um, diving into conversation with them, I've been able to root out some really unhealthy beliefs I had about intimacy with Jesus. And one of the most unhealthy beliefs I had was that it was more about what I was doing than who I was with. I, I never, I didn't even know I believed that, okay? I could never have said that until it finally just kind of popped out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, man, it's all about who I'm with. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not even about how I'm doing it. It's about who I'm with. That's the essence of a, of a quiet time is time where you are choosing not to be with anyone but Jesus. That's, that's what a quiet time is, okay? Nothing else. Don't add anything to it. Please, don't add, like, don't add anything to it. It is about who you're with. That's what a quiet time is. I'm not gonna focus on anything or any other. Jesus is a real person, really real person. So I might be with him all the time, but I'm not focused on him only all the time because I'm talking to my wife right now, okay? So like, obviously I'm not fully uh, only focused on Jesus. But when I'm in my devotional time, I'm not focused on my wife. I'm telling my kids to get the heck out of the room and I'm focused on Jesus. So man, like when I got that, when I got that into me that man, my devotional times are about who I'm with, not what I'm doing and not how I'm doing it. So much peace, <laughs> so much peace. That's all I got to do is remind myself that. And I'm just like, great, this is cool. It's whatever now, you know? 
It's not about performing. Another belief that I flipped was this. Um, I used to believe that God encountering me depended on me. Who's ever believed that before? <laughs> Let's do that thing where we laugh at lies, okay? Ha <laughs> ha. Okay? God encountering you doesn't depend on you. Because you know that you were broken and super jacked up and he came to you and decided to save you and you received him doing something to you. God, en God encountering you doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. He is the great encounterer. He's the great pursuer. We receive him coming to us. We can't get him to come to us. He's chosen to always come to us. That's just his default state is present towards you. Present towards you. That's, that's where he's at. So when I started to realize that, oh, wow, I can't self-sabotage. I used to believe that I could self-sabotage my intimacy with Jesus. How arrogant of me. <laughs> and in a sense, I was by having bad beliefs. That's, that's the scary thing. Our beliefs are super powerful. I was self-sabotaging by bad beliefs, not by bad actions, but by bad beliefs. So we just, I just can't hit hard enough how, how critical I think it is to our... Um, our imaging God, our completing the mission he's given us. You know that we're gonna complete the mission God's given us, okay? Like, I don't know what the world, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know this, the church is gonna be victorious. You know that, that like, he gave us, his church, a great commission, and we're gonna fulfill it. <laughs> One of the things that jacks it up is when we don't believe we're, how, how are we gonna fulfill it if we don't believe we're gonna fulfill it? So like, beliefs, man, they're just, they're critical. So turn to Mark 1. And let's, let's get in to some scripture about beliefs. Mark chapter one. Now after John was, um, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. And say, I don't know why I just did that hand thing. Um, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So how many of you guys know that, like, the gospel of God is probably something pretty important to pay attention to? Whatever the gospel of God, the good news of God, like, God has, has good news for you, and we should pay attention to it. And did you know that the, the good news... Look, like, don't, no one throw a stone at me, okay? But the gospel of God is not that Jesus died for our sins. That's, and, and you know how I know that? Because Jesus is alive saying this, and he hasn't yet died yet, okay? So, like, the, the, the gospel of God, that's not it. You can't summarize the gospel of God with the crucifixion and resurrection. How does Jesus, and those are really important things. I'm not saying that's, I mean, that's, Without that, you're lost, you're super lost, okay? Like, I'm not saying that's not incredibly vitally important, but I just don't, I think that it's unhelpful if we say something and believe something that Jesus didn't say and believe. So Jesus said the gospel of God was this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what's he saying here? Well, Just like how when we think of kingdom, things come to our mind, right? Like, 
When we say kingdom, when I say it in 2021 to a bunch of people in this church right here, when I say kingdom, all kinds of stuff floods to your mind, right? Just like how if I said um, the president of the United States, or if I said the constitution of the United States, or the government of the United States, if I said those things, a whole bunch of stuff comes to your mind. And it's the same for the Jews. It's the same for the Israelites that Jesus was speaking to. When he says the kingdom of God is at hand, stuff comes to their mind. Not not something just spiritual isn't what's coming to their mind. They have lived in different times where the kingdom of God was like on earth. <laughs> like the Exodus event would be a good example where God comes into to Egypt and rescue, rescues Israel out of slavery. That was the kingdom and all the, all the plagues he throws down on Pharaoh. Um, he was demonstrating, Pharaoh, you think you're king? I'm king. And these are my people. So that's supposed to be like a revelation to us of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And then Solomon, the reign of Solomon, it says that there, were no, there was no enemy in the land. And actually the nations, the Gentile pagan nations were coming to Israel to learn from Israel. That would be another image for them of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come. So what's really important to note here is that they were anticipating a political kingdom. That's what they had in mind. They thought, okay, we'll know the kingdom of God is here because he'll heal the sick, da 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 but also because we won't have Roman oppression anymore. Because that's what they're thinking of when they think of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God to be present to them means that no other kingdom is inflicting rule upon them. But that's not what Jesus did, right? Jesus didn't come in uh, and bring political reformation. He didn't come and change all the laws and um, deliver them from Roman oppression. That's not, that's not what he did. But that's what they were looking for. Like how often, you know, this, this should kind of connect some dots for us. Like, hey, Jesus, when you become king, can we be the right hand and left hand? You know, like they're asking that because they're thinking political kingdom. And in Acts, it says they ask Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to get Rome out of here, basically? And he says, you still don't get it. You know, wait here for the Holy Spirit. So their mentality, their thinking is that a political kingdom and a supernatural kingdom are going to rule. And, and we, we all know that's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus brought. And I mean, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God, the kingdom of God, doesn't want to influence the political realm. He does, obviously, you know, like, but innate by nature, the kingdom of God doesn't come through political rule. And so why this is all important, what this all has to do with beliefs is, Jesus said, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. So in order to see the kingdom, you have to change the way you think. Repentance means change the way you think. It's a Greek word, metanoia, and it literally just means to change the way you think. So in order for us to access and to engage with the kingdom of God, we actually have to be on the alert to change the way we think, to think about it the way God thinks about it. They weren't thinking about the kingdom the way God wanted them to think about it. So in order for us to access kingdom life, the, the way we access it is through changing the way we think, to think like God, changing our beliefs. 
So our beliefs restrict or release our ability, our, our involvement in the kingdom of God. Um, now Romans 12, 2. Turn with me to Romans 12, 2. Does anyone else love learning about like biblical context? I just love that stuff. And it's good to love because the Bible wasn't written to you. <laughs> it was actually written to a certain people and we have the extreme privilege. The Holy Spirit has preserved this for us and has gotten it passed down to us so that we can apply what was written to someone else to our life. And there's truth in here. So anyways, I mean, it's all truth, but you know what I'm saying. Just learning, the, un, learning about context and learning to think about what was happening. Why did the author write this? And what was the circumstance happening to the people he wrote it to? It unlocks scripture. That's when revelation really starts to flow. You can't make the Bible say something that it was never trying to say to begin with. And so if you don't try and understand the context, you're gonna end up making the Bible say things that it never was trying to say. The Holy Spirit isn't like today doing these neo-allegorical interpretations of scripture. We're like, oh, now we understand what it means. No, like it meant something to the people he wrote it to. And we, revelation is when we understand what it meant to them and we apply it to our life through the spirit of God. So Romans 12, two says this. Don't, don't, I hope your feelings aren't hurt by me telling you that the Bible wasn't written to you. Okay. <laughs> I would say it's written for us. I think that's a great way to say it. But it, it, it was really written. So anyways, okay. Um, Romans 12, two. Do not, conf do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's so much good stuff in here, conformed, transformed, and testing. Those are the three words I wanna hit, okay? So the Roman church was really divided over cultural issues. Basically, um, there's a, for the, the Jewish followers of Jesus who lived in Rome were kicked out of Rome and all the Gentile followers of Jesus ran the church. And then the Jews were allowed to come back to Rome. And so the Jews and the, um, the Gentile followers of Jesus are together again. But guess what? They're not playing nice. They're not being nice to each other. <laughs> the ones that hate eating meat are um, looking at the people who eat meat and just saying, you're just being so sinful. And the ones who love eating meat are looking at the people who won't eat meat and saying, you have no faith. And there's all this break, relational breakdown happening in the Roman church. And that's what Paul, that's the context Paul is writing into. Um, and so what he's saying is, you guys are acting like the world. Do not be conformed to the world. The world divides over cultural issues. The world divides over societal issues. That is being conformed to the way of the world. You will be around people you agree with. That's basically the way of the world, okay? But he's saying that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom isn't you will go around people you agree with. The way of the kingdom is you will love and value everyone. And the people you will choose relationship with are the people who are in Christ. So if you're in Christ with someone, then that's who you're supposed to be doing, that's who you're um, feeling knitted with not the people you agree with, the people who are in Christ with you. So how do we get this transformation? By changing the way we think. We're trans, then he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
So stop thinking this way. I want you to believe something different. The way that we access our true identity and the way that we live, the way that we prioritize our identity is by having our mind renewed. This word transformed is used a couple other places in the New Testament. And one of the places is when Jesus was transfigured. When Jesus became bright and shining like white and um, the glory was revealed on him. We get transfigured when we renew our mind. If we could all see in the spirit, you would see what you look like in the spirit. You know, you look a certain way in the spirit. There's light coming off you and all kinds of stuff. Like the demons, they see it. The angels, they see it. If we could see it, we'd see, oh my gosh, I'm being transfigured. I'm looking glorious and bright and shining. <laughs> There's light coming off of me. And that by testing, you may, you may discern what is the will of God. I've never noticed this before. Testing. That by testing, you may discern the will of God. You know what that means? That you shouldn't be so confident you know the will of God until you've tested it. And what I propose testing is, that comes in relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with other believers. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Yes, that's the will of God. I'm with you. And here's why. Scripture, blah, blah, blah. Or the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. But not, we're not supposed to just be like, um, I know the will of God. The will of God should always be something that's up for being tested. That we're like, hey, I want, a, I want an invitation into whether or not I'm discerning the will, of, the will of God right. Last, last scripture, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We all want comfort, right? But not many of us, me included, me at the front of the line, does not want to mourn. <laughs> because mourning means that uncomfortable emotion, I'm not running away from you. That uncomfortable emotion, I'm not running away. One of the greatest decisions my wife and I made when we had a miscarriage was to tell people about it. Because we were in a state of mourning when we had a miscarriage. And it would have been fake if I had, if I had walked around you guys and been like, hey, what's up? And then I gone home and cried. Because I was in a state of mourning when we had a miscarriage, okay? Like, that's what I was doing. And you know what I received from that? Comfort from so many people. Love, affirmation, um, embracement. But that's because I dove into, when we dive into mourning, we will receive comfort. Now, something really scary happens when we don't mourn, and it's we stuff and we get numb. And we mistake that for getting over it. Let's all just laugh at that. <laughs> that's a painful one to laugh at, okay? You thought you were better, but in reality, you just stuffed it. <laughs> mourn and you'll be comforted. You have permission here to mourn, okay, everyone? I just want you to know that in this church, as long as Luke and my dad and mom and I are leading it, you have permission to mourn, all right? You can be you. We love you. We embrace you wherever you're at, whatever you're experiencing. We love you. We're not saying that everything you're experiencing is God's will, but we're telling you we love you just the way you are, what you're experiencing. You can be you, and we can go after healing with, together with God, okay? So... Really quickly, the main role that the spiritual warfare plays in processing our emotions is the devil likes to tell us lies. He is the father of lies, not the father of uncomfortable emotions, okay? What he does is he tells you lies and then you start be feeling bad and you start feeling like you're bad and then you start feeling like Christians should never feel bad, so you feel ashamed, but that's all just a lie. He is ministering untruth to you 
so that you will not process what you're feeling. So he ministers lies, you guys. He wants to shame us. He wants us to feel like we are the problem, like we are bad. Anytime you're feeling that, you're listening to the wrong voice. And I'm going to talk really quick how I identify that. But like this week, I was battling this. This week, I was feeling like I suck at relationships. I had a, my dad and I had a conflict. And then I had a conflict recently with Jen, with my wife. And other, there's other like kind of conflict. I just feel like I'm a conflict magnet is how I felt. All this conflict happened around me. And I felt like, well, I'm the center of it. I must be crap here, you know? <laughs> I must really stink here. And I was just getting down and down and down myself, feeling less and less hope. And then I just paused like, I, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but what happened was I realized that who told me that? Who told me that I suck at relationships? Well, my experiences. Well, what am I gonna do? Elevate my experiences over the word of God? Because God doesn't make people who suck at relationships. So like, I'm a child of God. I cannot suck at relationships. I can have poor habits and poor experiences, but me, I don't suck at relationships. And when I got that out, like, boom, I'm believing a lie. The shame lifted and I was able to go forward and realize, okay, um, I don't suck at relationships. <laughs> I have room to grow, but I don't suck there. And so this is, and it was, like a, it was like a cycle for me of my emotions just taking me down and down and down. But really what was behind it all was that bad belief I had. So here's what I do when I have, when I experience an uncomfortable emotion. The first thing I do is I try and pause and name it. I try and actually say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. And it's really hard to do that. What you really want to do is fix it. You don't want to figure out why, you want to fix it. So like yesterday, we're at the zoo and it's, uh, then we went to Washington Park after that. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's four o'clock and I haven't finished my sermon. And I started feeling stressed, started feeling anxious. And I was just like kind of being not as pleasant to be around and just feeling a low grade anxiety. And then I started talking to Jen and I was like, you know what? It's okay, like I'm, I'm okay feeling this way. I, what I, what's going on now is I'm feeling stressed. Let's just call it out. I'm feeling stressed and anxious right now. And what that did was that relieved the pressure from me to fix that thing. Because that's not the thing that needed fixing. Remember, it's not a good goal to try and change and fix your emotions. So I was like, okay, that emotion is happening. Fine. Now, why do I, why am I feeling that way? What, what's, what's going on in my head behind that? And I was like, well, you know, honestly, like, I feel like if I don't spend enough time preparing, I won't have a good sermon. <laughs> and, you know, that feels very true. And I've, there's been times where I didn't prepare well, then my sermon did stink, in my opinion. And um, I just felt like God whispered to me, he said, hey, Will, what if you put your confidence in me and not your preparation? What if we your confidence in me and my love for you and the, the gifting I've placed on your life, my gifting on your life and the message I put in you and didn't place all of it on your preparation? And I was like, okay, I think I can be confident now. I'm gonna place my confidence in God rather than in myself. So I, I named what I was feeling. I didn't curse what I was feeling. So often we curse how we're feeling. We gotta be careful. Don't curse and belittle and beat up how you're feeling. Honestly, identify how you're feeling, and then ask the question, why do I believe this? Why do I believe this? And 99% of the time, 
your belief is coming, it's being, it's being fueled by a negative experience. And sometimes demons get stuck in here or a trauma gets stuck in here and you need healing in this area actually or you need deliverance in this area. So you ask the question, what am I fearing? And then what does God say? Go through the crap with God. I'm not telling you to go on a guilt trip of yourself, but I'm saying, okay, I'm feeling an uncomfortable emotion. That's not a bad thing. Now, Jesus, help me understand if you, if you want to, if you want to show me what's going on, I'd love to understand why I'm feeling this. He will start to reveal the beliefs to you. Um, and then you can ask him for the truth and you can move forward. And it's just amazing. So you guys stand up. I want to pray for you. So Lord, you're just so good. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your love. We honor you. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are Lord of every single area of our life. We just constantly surrender control, surrender self-leadership. We say we are dependent on you. We place you the proper part of our life, King, Lord, leader. And then you say back to us, hey, I love you. It's incredible, God, that we put you as king and you say, don't call me king, call me daddy. It's so good, God. We're just so thankful. So thankful that you love us like that. Now, I just want, if you have experienced in the last year some type of personal breakthrough when it comes to processing your emotions, will you just like raise your hands up in the air? Because I want, I want to pray over the church. I want those people to pray with me. If you feel like, man, you've gotten some breakthrough in this area in processing, okay, just extend your hands over the room. So I just thank you, God, that a victory for one of us is a victory for all of us. I thank you, God, that it's not something special about us. It's the Holy Spirit in us that that has brought breakthrough and healing. So we just say thank you, God, for that. Thank you, Lord, for that. And um, I just speak to anyone who's, ba- who's in this area, you feel stuck or condemned or ashamed. And I just say, be free from that in Jesus' name. I bless you and I bless you to process your emotions with King Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, not alone. You're not alone in this. And Lord, will you put anointing on us to bring radical freedom to those in the world? Radical freedom to those trapped in darkness. And if there's anyone in this room right now that has never surrendered your life to Jesus, I just want to encourage you that it's the best thing you can ever do. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to feel totally 100% about everything. He wants you to say, hey, I'm choosing you, Jesus, to be the leader of my life. I want to follow you. So I just encourage you to pray that prayer today if you never have. But um, would the prayer teams come on down to the front? And we're going to conclude the service here. So amen. Bless you guys.